Disenfranchised by the modern comics industry, Scott Gardner and Michael Bailey now ply the time stream in a never-ending quest to rediscover and reconnect with that unique brand of fun and excitement that can only truly be found in good old-fashioned, randomly selected comic book back issues. Journey with them now. Back. Back to the bins. Hey everybody, the time has come once again for Back to the Bins to return, as Scott and I struggle with interesting things to say and bring in the show that doesn't boil down to welcome back to Back to the Bins. (laughs) Uh, I I still say it's that Austin Powers thing, allow myself to introduce myself. (laughs) But I am Michael Bailey. And I am Scott Gardner. And this episode... We keep saying we're breaking format, and we've broken format uh, the last two episodes that Scott and I did together. And then last week we had the uh, the emergency fill-in episode, <laughs> as uh, we really didn't have time to get one out. <laughs> but it's good that those are getting out there. I, uh, I, I'm, I'm not bitter at all. Uh-huh. At all. No. Uh-huh. Um, but instead, we have gotten a metric ton of emails. About a third of them involving the Untold Legend of Batman episode we did, which both Scott and I are gratified about, because we, that was an episode we really wanted to do when we first decided that I was going to come onto the show full-time. I don't know if it was my idea or Scott's idea, but one of us said we've got to do Untold Legend of the Batman. Since it was awesome and a giant hit, I'm going to say that it was my idea. Very good. You can You can have all the credit. I'm okay, you know. Well, you get credit, my friend, for this torrent of email that we've been getting. Because honestly, before you came to this show, we had a trickle of email. And now it is literally a flood. So much so that this is pretty much what this episode is going to be. Yeah, we're, we're going to go through all the emails. And then I've got, a, I've got like one or two comic book related things to talk about. I don't know if Scott has a little something or other to uh, kind of chit-chat about, too. But just kind of make it a full episode and, and give you the, uh, the sparkling personality that is back to the bins when it comes to talking about comic, sh- comic books. So, technically, both shows are pretty much the same. It's just what we focus on. So, which means <laughs> this entails. This is true. Because, God, the, 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 the tales for this week, too, we, we spend, like... A good, like, the first 15 minutes of the show talking about anything other than the JLA-JSA crossovers. <laughs> Which is not entirely a bad thing. No, because we actually, we, we inadvertently stumbled into a good segue, so. Because I'm of... terrible about doing those things. Oh, um, yeah. I am awful. It's, it's almost like, hey, let's stop the show completely for a minute so I can bring us into the next section. But... <laughs> <laughs> But I wanted to, uh, uh, we, we played a promo on Tales, and I played a promo on Views from the Long Box and mentioned them. But I want to mention something before we get into the emails. There is a, a new podcast out there called Amazing Spider-Man Classics. Yes. Uh, hosted by John Wilson, who is a friend to the shows, and, and a friend in general. And 
Joshua Bertoni Beetle and Donovan Grant, and they are doing something kind of similar to From Crisis to Crisis uh, with Spider-Man, but they're going all out. They're all similar, in. my ass. They're ripping your format off, but it's awesome. They're not. They're not. It's it's, it's not like I created that format. So, but anyway, owe you money, dude. They totally owe you money. You should sue that. No, I'm just kidding. No, I, I really enjoy that show very much. But they they are they are starting off with Amazing Fantasy number 15 and going forward with every issue of Spider Man. They're into the classic Lee Ditko era right now. It's a great show. Yes, it is probably outside of Batgirl to Oracle, Oracle the Barbara Gordon podcast. One of my you know the, the, one of the best new shows to come out where. The hosts just come out of the gate swinging. I'll buy that. And uh, you can even, in, in episode four, you can even hear emails read by Scott and I. So, oh, really? Oh, I haven't listened to the newest one. Oh, that's cool. That's totally they, cool. they read your email, and you know what's funny about that email? When, when you, when, because at one point during, actually at several points during the episodes, they make comparisons to chapter one, and they speak in a rather negative way about John Byrne and his work on that. And when I was listening to those episodes, I go, Scott's going to write in about that John Byrne thing. <laughs> Son of a bitch, you did. Yes, I did. <laughs> they are Byrne bashing bastards, but that's cool. That's good. Those I consider all those guys friends of mine, and yeah. hey, you know that their 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 opinions are perfectly valid. That's that's awesome. But yeah, I did I did actually have to write in and say, um, uh, you know, I love the guy, right? <laughs> so. But uh, you funny. can check that you can check that out at amazingspiderman.lipson.com. So uh, yeah, check it out. Seriously, put it on your rotation. Yes, it's, it's enjoyable as hell. It is solid. So, and they, those guys, they know their shit, man. They, oh yeah, yeah. It's just like wow, they know. I, I the the thing about the reason why I chose the from crisis to crisis era about uh, with doing a Superman podcast. Is I I am familiar enough with that material that I can reread an issue and see the seeds that are being planted for something in the future. Right. I can't do that with Spider-Man because I'm not as familiar with it. But it's great to hear people that are yes. that can do that kind of thing, and you know, and say, well, you know, this, that, and the other, and not jumping ahead too much, but just mentioning it in passing. So, yeah, just really enjoyable show. Uh, be sure to check it out. It gets the back to the bin seal of approval doesn't amount to much i mean it's, it's like getting a cup of coffee for free at mcdonald's but still you know <laughs> i just insulted <laughs> scott that's very good um <laughs> but we're gonna read through the emails first one being from charlie niemeyer it says hi guys hey, hey. <laughs> well since scott asked so nicely i'm sending this email because the email bin was empty uh, scott's asking you to send money now so I went on a little shopping spree last weekend going through the 50 cent box at a local comic slash toy slash video game slash DVD store. That's awesome. Uh, sorry. Slash clown supplies store. Yeah, it's a little bit of everything in this. Slash porno. Um, awesome. I, picked up, <laughs> I picked up quite a haul, including the first issue of Alpha Flight and several issues of John Byrne's run on Namor. Would be interested in both of your opinions on this run, as I have not heard much about it. I haven't had a chance to read any of it yet, but the art looks great. Keep up the great work, Charlie. You know what's so bizarre about this is I would swear, somewhere or other, you and I have spoken about... 
Alpha Flight and Burns run on Namor. I think and, you have. And I mean on the air, too, but I, for the life of me, I could not remember where we had done it, if I was right that we actually had done it on a show and not just, you know, in casual conversation off the air. But anyway... Yeah, I, I, I'll try to be real concise with this because I, I don't want to divert us too much. But uh, Burns Alpha Flight, been a long time since I read it, but I loved it. I really loved it. And uh, actually, there's there's strong parallels with both of these because ultimately, Alpha Flight and uh, really Namor, I don't, I'm not really invested in either one of them. I mean, Alpha Flight a little bit more because there are characters that I came to really like, like uh, Sasquatch is cool as hell. He's he's a great kid. Yes, he is. I love that Hulk annual. Yeah. That he guest starred in where he just wanted Bruce Banner to turn the Hulk and was teaching it like a scientific curiosity and it's just like, "No, dude, stop that." Really. Right. Is that the one that's by uh, I think it's by Burn and Stern, isn't it? Is that the one you're talking about? Burn didn't do the artwork. Stern may have written it. Oh, okay. But uh, it didn't have Burn artwork in it, so unfortunately. Okay. That would have been great. <laughs> but um Namor, um, that was about the only thing that would ever get me to read Namor was when Burn, because that was at that period where, I, where if Burn was on it, I was I was buying it, I was reading it, because it was that uh, that that post Superman era where I was still following him everywhere that he went, and uh, wow, you know I, I give Burn top props for the fact that he for one he got me to pick up the book, but also it was enjoyable for the first time ever. Namor was actually somewhat interesting to me, and I liked what he did with the character. Right off the fact, uh, right off the bat, rather, I liked the fact that Byrne addressed why Namor was such a dick all the time. You know, why? Mm-hmm. Why one yeah. minute he was, God, I swear to God, we've talked about this before, about how we might have, but yeah, I think we still it's it's worth going over just real quick. Yeah, well, just the fact that you know. One minute, Namor's fighting for America and democracy, and then the next minute, he's ready to kill us with, like, giant mutant whales and shit. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> why, why does that happen? Well, Byrne actually addresses that right in the first story arc. You know, he, he explain he gives, like, a, like a you know, Marvel science explanation for why Namor's like that. And I liked that. I thought that was really cool. And uh, it, it was interesting. I won't say it was, like, fantastic or whatever, but... I, it was good. I enjoyed Burn's run on Namor, but Burn's fantastic, or excuse me, uh, Alpha Flight. Yeah, yeah, fantastic stuff. I really, really enjoyed that. And man, I, you know, I need to reread that stuff because it's been a long time. But the art, top notch, Burn at the top of his game, and uh, and some really interesting stories. And, and it's cool because, similar to Namor, that team was was largely made up of characters I really didn't give a crap about, you know. But he he keeps you engaged and he keeps you interested in the material. So, what what did you think of those those runs? The reason why I liked Alpha Flight as much as I did was it was a superhero team book where they're all together there in the first issue. But for the until issue like eleven, you had several different storylines that all focused on one character. Mm-hmm. It's like you had a Puck story, and you had a Guardian story, and you had a you know a, a North Star story. Where right at the beginning, you knew he was gay. <laughs> it's it, I'm, I'm not saying it is a bad thing. I'm just saying if anybody was ever like unsure of that, go back and read that first like North Star centric issue of Alpha Flight, where he talks about the teacher in his life that taught him things about himself that he didn't know. <laughs> Good Lord. 
but the, uh, the I, I liked that about the series. And then when they all got together, it was a big deal. During the second year on the book, he did that again, but instead of having like one issue focus on this character, one issue focus on that, he broke it up into several different plots. So you followed it to follow all the different storylines that were going on. So, but I think by the end he had kind of run out of steam on the characters. Like he almost said everything, every everything he had to say about them. Right. So with Namor, absolutely love his run on Namor for all the reasons you mentioned, and also because it was just really cool to see Namor on land as a big business type character. Yeah. And fighting in because Marvel what. Marvel and DC both have little things about their universe that makes them awesome. You know, with DC, a good example of that is all of the alien worlds that came about because of Legion of Superheroes. Mm -hmm. The Coons and the Dominators and, you know, going into, like, New Teen Titans, the Okarans and all that. And it's really cool that they came up with that. Marvel had, like, several big business-type organizations that would run throughout all of their books and it was cool for him to latch onto that as a storytelling device. Plus, the artwork was just fan-freaking-tastic uh, through, throughout most of it. I really enjoyed the heck out of that series. I really do. I stopped reading at issue 26 because though he was continuing to write it, Jay Lee was doing the art. Yeah. Not a big fan. No, me neither. Not a big fan. Not a bad artist, just not something that I want. Yeah, I, 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 I had a hard, hard time with that art style. Yeah, I didn't care for that at all. I didn't realize, though, that Byrne uh, stayed on writing it. I thought that he... Yeah, uh, he, he continued writing it for a good bit, too. Huh. I'm surprised I didn't stay with it, despite the art, because I actually like Byrne as a writer most of the time. Not all the time, but most of the time. All right, we ready to move along to the yep. next one here? All right, we've got uh, one here entitled Armageddon, the Alien Agenda. It says, Mike and Scott... I've been loving the Back to the Bins podcast, and your Alien Agenda discussion was great. I remember being psyched when that book originally came out, but being so disappointed because you're right. It completely ran out of gas in the fourth issue. But at least it wasn't Armageddon Inferno. And you know what? I have so got to reread that because I remember liking that when I read it back in the day. But, you know, again, you got to give me a little bit of a break. That was a long time ago. But uh, I, I do remember liking that. So I, Before I, the head injury. <laughs> yeah, I think it actually comic books back then. Anyway, um, anyway uh, this is such a great trip through the era of comics that I've always held dear. The one that was uh, that was the peak of my collecting. I remember reading a ton of DC books back in the early 90s and writing into several of them, mostly New Titans and Teen Titans. Oh, I like both those books. It's how I wound up with galley-type preview copies of Damage Number 1 and Deathstroke Number 44. I miss those days when you'd actually send letters into the comics and wait to see if they were published. This is great stuff, guys. Take care. And this is signed by Tom, and I'm sorry, Tom, I'm probably going to absolutely butcher your last name, but it's, uh, I'm going to say Panaris, is that right? P-A-N-A-R-E-S-E. If that's not right, please write in and correct me, because I apologize that I don't know what the correct pronunciation is. But thank you so much for that. I appreciate that. And 
write in and give us some more of your thoughts on uh, New Titans and Team Titans. Also, uh, let me know what uh, what issues your you have letters published in. I'd actually like to uh, to check that out because more than likely, if they're in those books you mentioned, then I, I'm sure that I have the issues because I've got. I believe I have a complete collection of both of those books. I actually really liked Team Titans quite a lot, and uh, I, I've always kind of wondered how many other fans there might be out there because I don't like. That was one of the reasons I really didn't like Zero Hour very much. I was very disappointed in it because Zero Hour just comes in and goes, okay, they're gone. And that was it. They were just like <laughs> disappeared in time or some ridiculous. And I was like, damn it, I like those guys. So, yeah. <laughs> it, 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 it did. Did you ever read that, Team Titans? No, I read the first issue. Uh, I have the entire series. I finally, thanks to a 50 Cent Ben, found the one issue that I hadn't been able to find. Which uh, I really, really, um, I really, really enjoyed. The one issue I read. Uh, the only thing that that kind of irks me about that series is that instead of having variant covers, well, it did have variant covers for the first issue, but it also had variant backup stories. I thought the issue one. I thought every one of them was actually a variant, or maybe I'm remembering this wrong. But I thought. There were like five or six number ones, and each yes. one of them was a different character, right? Yeah, and and they had a back, yeah, had a, had a backup, but it basically forced you to buy the main story five times, which is kind of annoying. But you know, that was at a time where the Titans were hitting another stride in their popularity, right? Yeah, because that was during Total Chaos, right? Um, so I'm looking forward to reading it. I'm a little more forgiving of Zero Hour than you are. Because Zero Hour, to me, is very much in spirit what Crisis was for you. Uh, I'd been collecting for a few years by that point. This was the first really, really big universe-changing event, and I got into a crap load of books afterwards. So <laughs> I'm a little more nice about the whole thing. Or uh, lo- forgiving, I guess would be a better term. So. I'm unforgiving. You're up. You're up. Clint Eastwood film? <laughs> Oh, wait, that was Unforgiven. Unforgiven. All righty. Uh, next one we have from Jose. Yay! Yay! Jose writes in a comment and a question. Hey, guys, one of your emails by Charlie really got me thinking. That email really gave me a, a, a moment to think about how much comics are and how much less you pay when it's reprinted in a trade. I went to the comic store today and bought the latest issue of Supergirl. While I enjoyed the issue, I decided to take a closer look at what I was buying. It was nice to see it was still 22 pages of story. There were three ads. And of course, what has become a staple with DC right now was the preview pages for an upcoming book, this one being The Flash. So it's more or less about 26 to 30 pages of content for $30. The sad thing is, this is one of the more... Oh, for three, $3, I'm sorry. $3. It's only $3. <laughs> Anyways, the sad thing is, this is one of the more inexpensive comics out there right now. I buy Supergirl because it ties into the whole new Krypton story, but also because I've become a fan of Sterling Gates' writing and J- Jamal Eigel's beautiful pencil work. But its pricing, along with the other annoyances, are an epitome of what I don't like about comic books today. The preview pages, although a nice addition, show up in almost all of the books. So I better get acquainted with those preview pages of The Flash, because I'm going to be seeing them a lot in my comics. 
Now, I know during the course of your comic collecting, you guys must have looked at the price of a comic and thought about buying it. Given that we're all concerned with our comic spending budgets, there must have been a time when you looked at that expensive comic and justified whether or not it was worth it to not only pick up that issue, but the following issues down the road. We can't buy everything, so I was wondering this. Has there ever been a series, a specific storyline, or a run you saw in the comic shop that you passed on simply because of the price and knew you'd pick it up cheaper in trade or at bin or in the bins at a convention if so what was it um i'll take i'll take that before we let's let's cover that before we finish up the email yeah uh, really and truly the most recent example of that was was i was really thinking of picking up dark rain but then i realized that down the road i could probably either get the torrents or or buy the trades cheaper then picking it up issue by issue by issue for things that maybe I didn't even want to follow all of the the tie-ins to it. So that would be one. You know, I really can't think of because I used to have such impulse control problems. If I wanted something, I would buy it and I would follow it. So I, my answer is a little more succinct, and I swear I'm not being a smartass with this answer. I, I really mean this, but it, it, it's really all-encompassing. I'm just going to say modern comics. I mean, one of the reasons that my pull list is the smallest it's ever been in my collecting career right now is because I look at the solicits and I just go, that's a 50-cent book. That's a 50 cent book. That's a 50 cent book. So <laughs> it's hard for me to get specific. I'll, I'll, but if you need specifics, I'll, I'll, just as you know, a, a contemporary example, I would say like uh, Blackest Night, all the Superman shit that's going on right now. I mean, I, I look at just about everything in Marvel and DC right now and go, eh, if I want this bad enough, I'll pick it up when I see it for 50 cents or a quarter. Because that's really how I feel. I, I think that just about everything coming out these days is is potentially a 50 cent fine down the road. And, you know, comic shops and the few like those local conventions that we've been going to, I feel like they bear me out in that in that theory. Yeah. So every time we go there, you know, and I've been thinking about I, I thought about that for years before I finally pared down my pull list, which it, it, there's nothing more aggravating than spending years, you know, keeping up and being current with all the stuff that's coming out and paying the current issue price. And then you go to like one of these, you know, every, you know, three, four months local cons, you know, that are, that are buying conventions. And you find that entire three-year run of Superman that you paid full cover for, every single issue is in there for a quarter. And you're like, well, God damn it, you know, so... You know, I feel that twinge, but really, like for the Superman book specifically, I was going to buy them anyway, so I can, I can just kind of shuffle that off. But it's like some of the Marvel books. Yeah. It's like, man, I picked that up when it was coming out because I, I was like, I'm not going to be able to find this anywhere else. Right. And uh, the one we went back to, and the one we went to back in February, which is the proper way to say that sentence. God, sometimes <laughs> that, sometimes growing up in a Pennsylvania Dutch area really sucks for your grammar. Um, but. Um, Go, when we went to it in, in February, the year before, literally the year before, I went to the same show in February of 2009. And the place where we got all those really great 50-cent books, where I picked up those Ohatmus and all that, that's what he was doing the previous year, was he had all the books that were on his new shelf. Because when we went to that shop, I showed you, like, there's almost, in some cases, like a year's 
worth of series on his shelf, and he just threw them out there at fifty cents a piece. Right. So you're absolutely right. I mean, here's the thing about how I am now as a comic book fan, where you know, versus what I was a year, year and a half ago, is that I don't care anymore. And that's not to say I don't care about comics. I still love the media. But I've gotten past, in my own head, which is probably the best for my wallet, that that little voice that says, you have to buy this because you might not be able to find it later, and ooh, it looks awesome to buy. You know, basically, I sit there, I weigh it, and it's like, am I going to enjoy this six months down the road? No. So it goes back on the shelf. Right. So, And I, and I think that's really... Superman stuff to the side, though I, I think I've I, I think sticking around has actually gone in my favor because it looks like the era coming up is going to be really good. Um, yes, I just justified myself, uh, but um, I'm not being defensive. But um, the thing is, is that if you don't need it, you know, there's plenty of comics out there to read, right? And and if and, and if you don't if if there is a little voice inside you saying ah don't pick this up right now follow it right because it's going to be better for you down the road it really will because down the road you're going to be at a convention in a 50 cent box and that three dollars you would have spent on that issue is going to buy you six issues of a book you really want yep and that's (laughs) and that's one to grow on (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> dun, 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 dun. Um, to finish out his email, the only thing I can really think of was a book I was originally buying but had to drop. Scott has mentioned on Two True Freak his love freaks his love of Buck Rogers. I too was excited about the book when it first came out. I bought the zero issue for a quarter and picked up the first seven issues. Sadly, it got too expensive. Thought about picking it up in trade, but then I realized what Dynamite charges for trade, and ultimately, I'll just wait for a convention and pick them up cheap. Yep. I'm doing that's the same a, thing. Yeah, that's the sad thing about comics today. A good majority of the comics worth reading are expensive, either in monthly issues or down the road in, in overly packaged trades. And you guys wonder why we enjoy our back issues so much. <laughs> no, I don't wonder at all. <laughs> nope. Hey, speaking of uh, Jose Rivera, I need to shout him out publicly, give him a big old thank you, because not long ago, he sent us a box O comics. And uh, wow, there's some cool stuff in here. He sent a, uh, some, first of all, some Charlton comics. And I was really excited about these because he, he, he kind of tipped me off ahead of time. He was like, uh, I have some of these issues. Is there anything you're interested in? And when he told me what they were, I was like, hell yeah. It's uh, the Six Million Dollar Man, number five, from Charlton. It's really cool. It's got an awesome cover of Steve Austin belting somebody with a motorcycle. That's actually pretty cool. Bionic Woman, issues two, four, and five, which now completes my collection of the Bionic Woman. There were only five issues, as it turns out, and I already had one in three, so that's really cool. And some that he snuck in there that he didn't tell me about in advance, but I thought, wow, this is really awesome. It's issues two, three, and four, which oddly, even though it's issues two, three, and four, is parts one, two, and three 
of the official movie adaptation of Buck Rogers in the 25th century, starring Gil Gerard. So I thought that was really cool. Yay. That uh, you know, it was kind of tying into uh, my my friendship with the Gerard. So I thought that was really cool. That was totally awesome. He sent me uh, from Dell. This is uh, Get Smart number four from January 1967. Just looks really, uh, really, really kind of cool, kind of, kind of bizarre. It's really uh, out of my wheelhouse, but I, I like the art. I like the the wackiness of it, so that's kind of cool. Photo cover on that, by the way. And then from Gold Key Comics, the Man from Uncle. Uh, issue 15 from November 1967. And I have to say, despite the fact that both of these comics are older than I am, they're both in much better shape. <laughs> <laughs> also, uh, our buddy Chris Honeywell, my co-host on uh, Two True Freaks, he sent me a big old box of just all kinds of awesome stuff for my birthday, uh, amongst which was a, uh, a patrol do-back figure, which I was just totally geeked out about. But there was also some comics. Is that the one you traded? Yes, that was. That was. You know what he told me he was going to do? It was really funny. He said what he considered doing was he actually had both a Tauntaun and a Patrol Dewback. He was considering sending me the Tauntaun and, and telling me that I had to trade it with him for the Patrol Dewback. <laughs> I, thought, I thought that was really funny. He didn't, he didn't end, end up doing that, but that would have been actually very funny. But uh, he sent me a... Uh, Ad, uh, Amazing Adventures, Volume 2, Number 4, from March 1980, which reprints, uh, let's see what issue. Oh, X-Men Number 2, Uncanny X-Men Number 2, so that's really cool. And Daredevil, I don't have it in front of me, but I believe the issue number was 183. It's the one, it's a Frank Miller uh, issue where he fights um, the Punisher, which was one I needed for my collection, so I thought that was really awesome. And then just as we were speaking... Almost like newscaster style, my wife walks in and hands me this package. So it was like one of those, this just handed to me my copy of The Brave and the Bold number 182 just arrived in the mail. And I am so freaking excited Yay! to read this story. This is Batman and the Earth 2 Robin. Gorgeous, gorgeous art. I've never read this story, but it looks fantastic. I'm really itching to read it. Um, my only problem is, though, is that the bastard that sold it to me didn't bother to mention that it was whipped to shit. And I paid top dollar for this. So that sort of irritates me a little bit. But Kick I, yeah, well, I, 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 you know, I always say, oh, I'm not so I'm not so big about condition and all that. So I'll try not to fuss and complain about it. But, yeah, I, I wish I had known ahead of time that it was really, really. No, you you, you kind of want to just give somebody a heads up, you know? Yeah, it's exactly. Like, seriously, dude, really? I'll That's still what you're going to do? Yeah. I'll still leave in positive feedback, but I think I will also mention in the feedback that, uh, gee, it might have been nice to know that this was, you know, had been run over and, you know, used as a Kleenex. I mean, Jesus Christ, dude. Let somebody know next time. <laughs> Molested by Yetis. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> oh, All right. My. Okay. Let's see. What do we got next here? We got, we got one oh. from Jason Trenner. Jason Trenner, here we go. Uh, <laughs> title is, Sometimes I Think I Need to Proofread These Things. He says, Yes, it was hypertension. I'm trying to remember what... Oh, it was the Superboy thing he was talking about. And uh, and really interesting, you had a letter in the letters page in that arc. Uh, but he's, he, I guess he's talking to you. You said you had a letter yep. in that, right? Yes, I did. It was my very first letter published in a comic. Oh, cool. He says, On to Iron Man. This is one interesting thing relating to that issue. 
It seems AIM at least figured out Iron Man Records conversations given in a later story during the telepresence armor era. He went to AIM to fix one of Rhodey's mistakes as head of Stark Industries. Basically, he was trying to be green after fighting the third Atom Smasher and not deal with radioactive materials and sold it all off and AIM bought it all. And to make a long story short... Too late! (laughs) Sorry, that's a clue reference. (laughs) Tony visits the same... uh, visits the place the same day Omega Red is after someone working AIM that betrayed him and we get an excellent battle between Madame... I guess that's how you speak, because the other one's Mo Doc, so I guess this is... Oh, it's Mo Dam, isn't it? Or is it Madame? I can't remember. Uh, Neither can I. Yeah, he says Madame here, so that's what I'll go with. Omega Red and Iron Man. And after that, Iron Man asks the CEO of AIM if they're aware he's recording their verbal agreement for the nuclear materials, and the CEO says he's well aware of that. It's a two-part story I remember fondly, and the first part was, I believe, the first issue of Iron Man I had ever gotten. And for Omega Red, well, at least having Iron Man kick your ass has more dignity than having Chamber beat you with a rock. (laughs) Which did happen to him somewhere. I fucking hate Omega Red. He's the guy with, like, the adamantium coils that come out of his wrist or something. Yeah, I I don't like him or dislike him. He's just kind of one of those guys. I'm like, eh. When I would play that X-Men arcade game, the fighting game, and oh, yeah. I, I would just beat the piss out of him as much as I could. <laughs> he continues, Oh, and uh, on the X-Men subplot thing you briefly mentioned, John Byrne made fun of it in X-Men The Hidden Years when the X-Men and Fantastic Four teamed up to fight, to fight the Xenox. I pronounce it Xenox myself. Okay, all right, well, that's how I pronounce it. And... Uh, Dump them into the energy zone between uh, the dimensions and, or between this dimension and the negative zone. Afterward, the FF talked to the X Men about dealing with danglers, and one of the X Men said the X Men don't have danglers. What the hell is he talking about? <laughs> I guess it's just a shot at the fact that the X Men have like dangling subplots all the time. Oh, okay. I gotcha. I gotcha. Uh, okay, I'm not going to talk about danglers. I get a chuckle out of that uh, every time I think about it, he says. Captain Adam on his journey through time. Wasn't this the exact same time Superman was doing that? And Batman is uh, going to be doing this soon to get back to the present. I don't know. Was that going no. on at the same time Superman was bouncing around time? No. Time and time again was before, like right before Armageddon 2001. Yeah. I liked that story, by the way. Oh, I love that story. Yeah, that was good. Uh, as for Captain Adam in the Old West, well, that sounded fun. Though I do wonder how many more times Captain Adam has to appear to die before they go, eh, he'll be back sooner or later. That's true. <laughs> That's very true. And I uh, got to ask if you guys will ever review the 1993 Justice Society series. I love that series. Uh, and, of course, is Power Company something else you could review? I honestly think that series is very underrated. So long, and thanks for all the fish, Jason Trenner. Now, uh, if it's got Justice Society in it, you can guarantee that we're going to touch on it in in some regard. So, yeah, that will be coming. And uh, at least in Tales of the JSA. Yes, in Tales here. of the JSA. Yeah, Power Company. Um, That's I, a little after our mandate, even the the revised mandate that we had, where we we said we talk about 
books that came out in like 98, 99. That was like 2002. Oh, was it? When all that was coming out. Yeah. I've only got just scattered issues of that, and uh, I think I mostly picked it up for whoever the artist is. I want to say Grummet. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, but I, I've never read any of it. So I mean, I'm, I'm not I'm not averse to it. I'm just saying I really don't know shit about it. But uh, yeah, you never you never know what we might eventually latch on to and, and want to cover. So could happen. Okay, we got another one from Charlie Niemeyer. It says, hey guys, I just listened to the latest episode, episode 47. Heard you guys read my email. Thanks, that was really cool. Well, now you got it twice. <laughs> I don't have it mastered yet, but so far a great way for letting my wife, getting my wife to let me buy comics, he has that let in quotes, is to take her out shopping at a shopping center near us that not only has a really good comic shop, but also a bunch of department slash clothing stores. Since she gets bored really quick at the comic shop, and I get bored at all her stores, we split up so that we can both shop in peace. Although I did have to promise to limit my shopping to the 50 cent and $1 bins. I'm not complaining, though, since I ended up with 64 comics that cost me less than one of her dresses. <laughs> not touching that with a 10-meter cow. <laughs> anyway, thanks again for acknowledging my email and getting my name right. Charlie. This one actually elicits two Ghostbusters references because I was going to say, let's split up. We can do more damage that way. So, <laughs> oh, that's funny. Thank you, Charlie. Thank you for writing in. And uh, we're going to start charging you uh, by the email that we read on the show. So just to, just to give you the heads up on that. Yay. Let's see. Uh, okay. I'm going to go over this next one because that's not pertinent to the show. And what do we got? <gasps> our next one is we got answers to our Burn Hulk uh, contest that we were running. And I believe this is our winner. Am I am I correct in this? I believe I'm correct in this. So. This is from Victor Wachter. And he answers the questions with number one was name three members of Burn, uh, excuse me, Bruce Banner's Hulkbusters team, and he cites Craig Saunders Jr., Carolyn Parmenter, and Samuel J. La Roquette. Uh, number two is besides the Hulk, name two other heroes Rick Jones was a sidekick to or palling around with, and he names Captain America and Captain Marvel, and I believe Rom was the other yeah, guy. Yeah, Rom would have been an acceptable answer as well. What super team came after the Hulk after he went all savage and mindless? And that was the Avengers with uh, Submariner and Herc from the East Coast and Wonder Man and Iron Man from the West Coast. From whom did Doc Samson steal that cool two-seater helicopter thingy? And he stole it from Diane Bellamy. And what was the name of the S.H.I.E.L.D. agent that shut down the news broadcast when Samson was separating uh, Banner and the Hulk? And that was Clay Quartermain. I believe these are all correct answers, and he they is are. the first one to send in correct answers. So he wins the what did you call that thing? It was the Burn the Marvel Visionaries John Byrne the Hulk? So. Yeah. So send us your address, Victor, and we will get that out probably for me probably about a week or so next time we get paid. Sweet. Good job, Victor. Thank you for uh, for writing in. Thank you for listening, sir. Next one is from Steve J. Rogers, whose, whose title is Who Cares About a Couple Guys Named Ledger and Ruths? I do. Okay. Uh, <laughs> new fun number six. What's with that Dick Tracy-looking guy? Talk about obscure characters written by two unknowns. Now, I know he was trying to be funny in this, but uh, 
I don't think he realizes that it really gets my ire up when people see my avatar on uh, on Skype, which is Dr. Occult, and they say, oh, I love Dick Tracy. <laughs> I've had like a zillion people tell me that, and it's it's really at a I point where I'm ready to strangle somebody. So I know he's trying to be funny, but... Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, now, right. I don't give you shit about your name being Steve Rogers and make Captain America jokes, so you don't make Dick Tracy jokes about Dr. Occult. God damn it. All right, dead on with, uh, he's talking about when I went over that 50 that made DC great uh, special. Dead on with the Mego slash Kenner thing and the 50 years thing. Yeah, today Kenner and the Superpowers line should be listed right at, right there alongside the world's greatest superhero line. But for the 50th anniversary of the company, I was thinking the exact same thing when Scott wondered where the heck Mego was in that, that list. Amen. Which reminds me, I understand the producers of the film, and at that point the actual owners of the film license, and Christopher Reeve being mentioned, but I wonder why Richard Donner wasn't. If they do the same thing this year, I hope that is rectified. Along with Bruce Tim, Paul Dini, Cough, 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 Chris Nolan, and Tim Burton Cough. Yeah. And I hate to say this, but Al Gough and Miles Miller, the creators of Smallville, probably deserve mention from the screen side of DC's last 25 years. But if they yeah. put Ryan Reynolds on the list, yeah, that would be right up there with putting Kenner on instead of Mego for the 50th. Now, I actually, you know, to that, I will say this. Look, I know everyone loves Richard Donner. I know everyone loves Superman the movie, or most people do. And I have nothing but respect for Richard Donner. But by the time that list was made, the Salkines had produced three Superman films and a Supergirl film. So their name should get bumped up a little bit. Because without the Salkines, without the Salkines, there would be no Superman film franchise. Right. Right. You know, shady they may have been, to kind of go to Yodi's, Yodi, Yoda's, Yodi. Yoda speak um, shady and, and maybe they did some things that were a little underhanded in their careers but you know we wouldn't have had Superman the movie at all without uh, Ilya Salkind going hey let's make a Superman film because it was at a time when no one was thinking of doing such a thing right so I I, I tend to take up for the Salkinds because I think they get unfairly maligned in the uh Amongst the fans. So, anyways, back to Steve's email. Speaking Wait, of this, before you say that, who the hell is Ryan Reynolds? He is going to be playing Green Lantern. He was Hannibal King in Blade Trinity. Oh, okay. Um, he was in Van Wilder. Where else has he been? I'm just trying to see what what because he says here. But if they put Ryan Reynolds on that list, that would be right up there with putting Kenner instead of Megan. I was trying to figure where he was going with this, but yeah, now I now I get what he's saying. If they do that before the movie even comes out and proves itself, or or doesn't prove itself, then yeah, I agree with him. I, I see where where he's going with that analogy now. Speaking of the sanitized version of DC history, I'm a bit shocked that Bill Finger was on that list at all, considering how much Bob Kane all but succeeded in making sure he was considered by the mainstream to be the sole creator of Batman. Hell, to this day, pick up a comic, and it's Kane's name alone that is listed as Batman's creator. He is Batman's creator. So is Bill Finger, but... I see I have an issue with that, but I don't want to get into it. You and I really need to talk that out. No, we don't, because it's really... It's just one of those things that fucking irritates me, but no, we don't need to get into it. But Bob Kane is the creator of Batman. So I get tired of people kind of... It's... I don't know. All right. I'm just going to leave it there. (laughs) 
Going back to the start of the email, you know that stuff would make an interesting future episode of Back to the Bin special. Stuff like New Fun number 6 and even Action Comics number 1 might make for some entertaining podcasting. Also, since that book is kind of related to it, i.e. not a book with an actual DC comic book story in it, I want to respond to a recent suggestion to stick with Marvel and DC books. I highly disagree with that notion. Just so much as while DC and Marvel are clearly the big two, and their superhero titles are the most well-known comic books out there without question, high-powered marketing departments will do that, it is nice to know other companies either exist or have existed. Like that interesting book Chris Honeywell did on his first episode. Forgot what it was, but it was like a creator-published thing, and it was a quirky, interesting book. Or the Neil Adams-backed company where Scott read uh, The Revengers. Is that how you pronounce that? Revengers, yeah. Okay, look from. Yes, the latter is superheroes, but it comes from a long-defunct company that few today would know about unless they are talked about. Yes, I know the indies got a bad rap thanks to Image and Valiant in the 1990s as well as that decade itself. But that doesn't mean that there aren't diamonds in the rough out there waiting for someone to discover, even if it lasts a short run or even if it's still being produced today by a small indie publisher. Hell, that should be the beauty of this show, that by listening to you guys describe even now and again some obscure or independent books... Uh, company's title, the listener should be then interested in looking that character or book or company up on Wiki or the Grand Comic Database or whatever and learning more about it. So keep on bringing non-Big 2 superhero titles to the table. Yeah, I, I plan to, but uh, you know, to the I wish I could remember who it was that, that said that they weren't all into that. Don't worry, because you know I'm, I'm not one of these indie trumpeters by by any stretch of the imagination i really am strictly a, a big two kind of guy for the most part but yeah i mean i you know i have a few non big two books too and every, every once in a while i like to to spotlight some of that stuff but uh yeah don't don't worry it's not going to become the the indie show by by any stretch because one of my formerly favorite podcast that I no longer listen to. I no longer listen to it strictly because they went from being a podcast about the big two to now, you know, it seems like the freaking independent show, you know, it's, that's all they ever trumpet and talk about is the, the latest greatest thing happening in the world of independence. And frankly, I can give a rat's ass. So yeah, I feel you. And I'm not going to allow the show to go that way. So don't worry. All righty. I have some, too, that I would like to talk about. I just haven't. They're in a really inconvenient spot for me. So, In your butt? Getting... I mean, no, that would no, be no, inconvenient. Well, that would be more uncomfortable than inconvenient. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I had to, you, I had to go there. You, you bother me. <laughs> <laughs> what the hell movie am I referencing? Oh, uh, uh, Mall Rats. Yeah, someplace really uncomfortable. Yeah. That was it. That was it. I knew that there was a relevance to that some sort of half-ass way. And let's see here. Goodness gracious, we, we, we're getting repeat emailers back, which is awesome. Don't get me wrong. But uh, some of you people that, that listen but don't write in, write in. We want to hear from you. We, need, we, we, want to hear, we want to hear all the voices. We want, to, uh, we want all of our, of our folks to chime in and, and be heard. But well, we have one here from uh, Jose Rivera. He says, excellent episode. He says, hey, guys, after listening to your most recent episode, I really want to track down that Batman-Cobra issue. Cobra has always been an interesting concept to me with the twin brother and all. But the way it was played here really did sound like a James Bond-type story. I'm mainly familiar with Cobra from 
the Janus Directive storyline and JLA Foreign Bodies, which, uh, you know what, I have that and I haven't ever read it. I didn't realize that was a, uh, a Cobra story. Now i got to dig that out. But when I really took notice was when Cobra appeared in JSA. It's nice to see how the character has evolved over the years and how they've played up the secret organization slash cult angle. Much like Rasa Ghul, when used sparingly... Oh, what's that? It's not a cult. It's, it's, it's DC's... Cobra is now DC's version of militant Islam. That's all hmm. it is. Yes. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I think I can kind of see that, actually. He says, much like Ra's al when used sparingly, Cobra comes off as a threatening villain. It was really shocking to see how many people died in that story, but it really looks like something worth checking out. On the subject of the superpowers figures, you guys made the biggest mistake in bringing it up because uh, I could talk about how much I love these figures all day. As a child of the 80s, I was very familiar with the superpowers line. While we had uh, so many great toys as kids, that particular line was always special because it was the first time I took notice of how a toy looked as well as how well you could play with it. The designs were almost identical to the comics. I say almost, I know they weren't perfect. But the sculpts, the paint jobs, and all the other things kids don't normally notice stuck out to me and drew my eyes towards them. Out of all the figures he's had, the superpowers Superman will always be my favorite as I believe it's a perfect representation. At a time when all the action figures had some sort of gimmick to them, Transformers being robots and vehicles, visionaries with the great holograms, and even Crystal with its, well, look at the name and you get the point. Superpowers were simple in gimmicks, but uh, went all out in presentation. Everyone jokes about the Justice Jogger vehicle, but that withstanding, this line had so many great figures, uh, vehicles, and that Hall of Justice wasn't too shabby either. Thanks for all the great work and keep bringing up comics I've never heard of before as it's fun uh, to see if I enjoy them and put them on my checklist for future 50 cent bin adventures. And thank you, Jose, because that is exactly what this show is all about. There's a dude that is seriously overpriced on his shit out at the local flea market, but he has in the box a Hall of Justice playset. And Aww, uh, don't tell me things like that. <laughs> God, I loved that thing. It had a landing pad where you put the supermobile yeah. Had a jail. Did you have one? Uh, Christmas of 85, I got the Hall of Justice, the Batmobile, the Supermobile, Superman, Batman, Robin, Joker, Penguin, Lex Luthor, Brainiac, Darkseid, Calabac, and Decide, and Wonder Woman, and The Flash. Eventually, I would have the entire first series of figures, which also included Aquaman and Green Lantern. I got Firestorm, I got Martian Manhunter, I got Doctor Fate... Yeah, I had a I had a pretty big collection of superpowers figures. I and Red Tornado at one point I got. I was so Loved tempted it. to say that how much I'm just really hating you at the moment, but I had a Death Star playset, so it almost Yeah, exactly. Like so you can yeah, you can eat me. That's <laughs> you can do right now. But no, yeah. I was that was my that was my big because uh, I mentioned this on views a bunch of times, but all my Christmases had themes. It's like 82 and 83 was Star Wars, 84 was He-Man, 85 was Superpowers, and 86 and 87 were G.I. Joe. Cool. So, so. 
Yeah, all mine had themes too. My parents were poor and didn't love me enough to get me the shit that I wanted. That was my theme. Christmas. <laughs> wow. Uh, yeah. I hope my parents don't bitter, listen to this episode. Bitter much? No, not really. Yes, totally. <laughs> like a lot. <laughs> like not even a little. <laughs> all righty, uh, one from Stan Johnston, who has... If we had a letters page in a comic, this would be the title of the letters page. Back issues are my life. Oh, yes. <laughs> um, hi, guys. Although I've been listening since the fifth episode, this is my virgin email to Back to the Bins, so be gentle. <laughs> I'm going to touch that. Nope. For, first, some general comments. I know it's been said by others already, but I'm glad that Michael was chosen as the permanent co-host for the podcast. I always liked Stan. Everybody uh, else said no. What could I do? <laughs> wow. Um, you two really work well together, and if I didn't know better, I would say you two have known each other forever. Yeah, just just about almost a year now, actually. Uh, I'd you also just get like- really well well written scripts from Demonzo Corps. So yeah. <laughs> Chris and Scott didn't grow up together. I just want you all to know that. This is all, this is like the new kids on the block. It was a very prepackaged concept. A year and a half ago, I didn't know either one of these assholes. So. <laughs> I'd also like to compliment you both on how well you summarize the comics you're talking about. My wife, my wife synopsizes books and movies really well, but it's a skill that has eluded me. I used to hate doing book reports. Last episode, Mike talked about Iron Man number 247, and I just wanted to say that Scott is right. <gasps> Read that again. I just wanted, I was about to anyways, because I know how you are. I just wanted to say that Scott is right. I, awesome. seem, I seem to be saying that a lot lately. No, no, no. About- you can't say that enough. It's like when my <laughs> wife says, you have too many comic books. I'm like, uh-uh, uh-uh. No, there is no such, you do, you do not use those words in the same combination, okay? <laughs> too many and comic books don't belong anywhere near each other. <laughs> about, uh, but Scott was right about this being an okay era for Iron Man. You can never go home again, but as the saying goes, and in truth, I don't think the second time around was as strong as the first for Michelini and Layton, but it is still one of the better runs on the book. Plus, they had the advantage of, of following Danny Fingeroth, so pretty much anything would have been an improvement. Oh. <laughs> when most people get into comics, there is one character they latch onto. For Michael, it was su- Superman. For me, it was Iron Man can't tell you how many yards I mowed in the late 70s and early 80s to get money to buy back issues of Iron Man and Tales of Suspense. I'm for right most with of you, it, brother. Mowing yards my- and shoveling uh, sh- sidewalks, yeah. <laughs> or shoveling yards and mowing sidewalks. There you go. Yeah, do kids even do that anymore? I- I'm just curious if, you know, if kids actually do that to, like, earn money to go buy. I'm sure they do. Comics or, or video games or whatever. For most of its run, I enjoyed the book, although there was a time during the 70s, especially looking back on that series from today, when the series really seemed to be struggling. Like, they weren't quite sure what to do with Iron Man outside of the Avengers. That's not even taking into account the time they decided to put nose on the armor. <laughs> as, as most everything does, the book rebounded, and eventually it fell into the hands of Michelini, Ramita Jr., and Layton, where it flourished for quite a long time. Yep. I was really pissed when Danny O'Neill came back in the writer and I... Uh, became the writer in 1982 and didn't really give him a chance at the time, even though his only crime was having the audacity to replace Michelini as writer. I made my mind up that I wasn't going to like his issues, and by God, I didn't. 
at least not until a number of years later, when I went back and actually read them with an open mind and found that they were actually very good. Still, that wasn't the best time for artwork on the book. Luke McDonald was serviceable, but Steve Mitchell's inks were too heavy and always overpowered the line work. Yes. Anyway, the psycho who shot Stark was Kathy Dare. They dated for a while, agreeing that it was would be casual. However, she actually was a nutcase who couldn't control her jealousy, causing Tony to break things off. On the plus side, after she shot him, she felt so much guilt that she offed herself. Oh, I forgot about that. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, she did. Hooray for happy endings. Ramble <laughs> mode off. Usually I've either read or own at least one of the comics you guys talked about. This time, I do not. In fact, I don't even think I was aware of the DC 50 who made DC great. Most likely, I saw it on some order list when it came out and decided to pass on it, but it sounds like something worth tracking down. As an aside, I can remember buying Camelot 3000 when it came out, and however, it took forever for the last few issues to appear, because Brian Bullock couldn't be bothered to, you know, hurry the fuck up. In retrospect, they probably should have had 10 issues in the can before they started releasing it. Anyway, at the time, I thought it was a good retelling of the Arthur story, but my opinion changed somewhat somewhat when I read the series again a couple of years ago. The idea is good, but the writing just doesn't hold up. In closing, I just read that Dick Giordano passed away over the weekend. Very sorry to hear about this, as he, be- as he becomes another of the older generation of creators to leave us. I don't think a lot of people fully understands all the things Dick did for the comics industry. Thank you, and good afternoon. Stan. I read somewhere that uh, credited Dick Giordano with bringing Burn into the, the comics industry back in the Charlton days. I don't know if that's really true, but I, I did read that somewhere. If so... Wow, you know, there you go, right there is is reason enough for the guy to be lauded. You know that he, he gave the the comics industry John Byrne. Awesome. Well, there was one other thing I wanted to address in in Stan's okay. thing about Iron Man real quick, but I'm struggling to remember what the hell it was. Oh, I know what it was. He reminded me of one thing. I need to go back and examine this one day. And and back to the bins would probably be the perfect place to talk about this. I've always wondered. I'm not exactly sure which era of Iron Man it was or who was the writer at the time. I I can remember that the art was fantastic during the time, so it had to be one of Layton's two runs. But it seemed like, at least to my mind, and I, I really hope this isn't me just projecting one of my other interests onto the character, but it really seemed for a time that whoever it was writing Iron Man was almost trying to parallel or or imitate or something Walt Disney in a certain aspect because there was a time where it's where Stark had to rebuild his company and he his whole new compound became very like very Disney World-esque you know there were monorails and all these futuristic looking buildings I think he even had a, a big uh, uh, what do you call it geodesic sphere if I remember properly and all this kind of stuff he, he created this satellite out in space, and he became very, for a time anyway, very focused on, like, the future of humanity and, like, making the world a better place to live and all that. And that storyline was really great for a time, and then just kind of got sidelined and never really went back to it. But for a brief moment, I, I really liked that era. It was where Tony Stark started to try to either consciously or subconsciously kind of turn his image around, you know, and, and was trying to, to be like a positive 
force for the future of man or something along those lines. I would love to, to go back and really take a look at that, but also to find out, you know, look it up and find out who the writer was and maybe even talk to them at some point and find out, you know, am, am I just projecting or, or, or was that really in the material? Because it sure does feel that way. Because I can remember there even being references to like Buckminster Fuller and stuff like that, which, you know, was, was an influence on, you know, the whole uh, like Epcot and all that type of thing. So, yeah, I'd, I'd, I have to I have to go back and check that stuff out because I, I liked this era of, uh, of Iron Man that he's talking about. I, I thought it was a lot of fun. And, yeah, there's some wonky in there. And uh, and the artwork does suffer a bit during that era he was talking about. But uh but still, it was cool. This this was the era that made me an Iron Man fan, so I, I have a fondness for it. But yeah, that's uh, that's it for this episode as far as uh, the emails go. And uh, Mike, you had some some things you wanted to bring to the table, right? Well, one big thing, I uh, I am the type of person that sometimes it takes a while for me to jump on just not a bandwagon so much, but a concept, you know. And and I'm also the type of person that will get into uh, a certain thing like really hot and heavy and then like a year or two later just kind of trickle off like about four or five years ago I really got into buying trade paperbacks as my bookshelf uh, bears out (laughs) you've seen the thing yes you have an an impressive collection my friend Um, but I've really gone away from those because at the time when I was getting those I was like yeah man you know I like having back issues, but they take up so much room. If I have the trade, it just sits on the shelf. I could get it whenever I want, blah, 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 blah. Well, I've kind of moved away from that simply because, one, I don't have a lot of money right now. And two, you know, in listening to Back to the Bins and now being on Back to the Bins, I kind of got into the back issue itself as an artifact, not just a way to tell, you know, to read the story, but seeing the ads, seeing the letters pages. And all that other kind of stuff. Uh, may I ask you a quick question? You, you sure. may have just answered this question, actually, but uh, is the fact that trades used to be a heck of a lot cheaper, does that play into this as well? No, because they're about the same that they were before. Oh, okay. I, I was I mean, under the impression that they had gone up in price. but uh, they Marvel started kicking up the price about 10 years ago, mm-hmm. whereas like a DC trade would be $20, a Marvel trade would be $25. I see. Uh, and that kind of thing, you know, that that happened with Civil War and uh, House of M, not Civil War, House of M. I went to buy, like, I was like, ooh, the House of M trade. I've never read that story. Twenty five dollars for eight issues? Are you kidding me? Um, so, yeah. but I, I've really come, like I said, I've really come to love back issues and seeing the individual issues themselves and reading through them and like, you know, because it's 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 really is a time capsule for the era in which the comic was published. I mean, you look at the like the Iron Man issue that we discussed had ads in it that were all over the ad, the books of that time period. And it kind of for me, it kind of takes me back even though I wasn't collecting Iron Man at that time. It takes me back to that era and remember seeing those ads in other books. And it's the same with DC, you know, and or other Marvel books and such in the 80s and the 70s and the 60s, etc. The one thing that I haven't gotten into, really at all, that a lot of my fellow comic fans have gotten into is torrents of, you know, digital comics, basically. And for the longest time, I was of the opinion that it's like, okay, those are great. I never had a problem with people doing it. I don't, I don't care. You know, 
I I honestly look at, at, at comic book torrents as a buddy of yours, you know, lending you his issues or giving you his comics. Right. And uh, even though that, you know, there's arguments against that, that's kind of how I look at it. Because really and truly, Marvel isn't, or DC, they say they're losing money. I don't see how. I honestly don't see how, because there are still going to be people buying the essentials. Right. And there are still going to be people that buying the masterworks, because they appeal to a certain particular type of reader. But somehow, over this past week, I, uh, I started downloading an Iron Man torrent, because... Now, Iron Man is one of those characters that I've always liked, but don't know a whole lot about. You know, he's one of the icons of the Marvel universe, right? And I'm a big icon guy, and I like to to see you know the the, the progression of the character. And it didn't really take me all that long to download it, and suddenly I had basically everything of the Iron Man series in and of itself from his first appearance in Tales of Suspense to the 10th issue of the Warren Ellis series. And I went, holy shit, that's a lot of comic books. (laughs) And then I really started thinking about it. I'm like, wow, this is a great way. And it's like a light bulb went off in my head. It's like, this is a great way to read these books. This is a great thing for Back to the Bins. Because now I have more books to choose from that I don't have to dig out of a comic box. There you go. And that's when the light bulb, like I said, went off. It's just like, bam. I don't, like, for books I already have, I might not download the torrents unless I just want to have a digital copy. You know, it's for quick, easy access, much like the the trades. But the great thing about these torrents is they have all the ads in them. Some torrents don't. Some torrents completely eliminate the ads. Uh, just, I guess, for, yeah. for storage sake or anything. But no, these have the, the, back, the front cover, the back cover, all the ads and everything. And I'm just, I'm really excited. Like, like super excited. Like, I have right now in my, my download folder, like about 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17... 18, 19, 20, 27 torrents to download that I that I will either keep on the hard drive. Actually, I'm burning them all to DVD uh, as soon as I get them all. But And some of them I already have in digital form. I actually shelled out the money because I, I've been looking at it for a long time. That Hulk DVD that came out a couple of years ago that had everything up until Hulk 100. From, right, uh, Planet Hulk, and a friend of mine gave me copies of the uh, Fantastic Four and Spider-Man ones that came out several years ago as well. But but here's the thing, and here is why I like why I'm re-downloading those as torrents because they're in CBR format. And on one of our previous podcasts, I actually made the comment, ah, I don't care about PDF. But once I really started looking at the differences between the two, I'm like, CBR is the way to go. CBR is such a it's a, it's a, it's a better interface. It actually looks like I'm reading a comic. They don't open up the page over one file, and you have to like go over and down and then over and down and all that. And right. it's just, it takes up less space. So 
I don't know. Maybe it's a bad thing to be sitting here going, hey, I'm illegally downloading comic books off the internet. But well, I was waiting for that word to come up because I I have a problem with that. You know, okay. I, I have a serious problem with the with you know that that label gets thrown around far too often for my for my taste because you know I've only ever scanned two comics ever that that are credited to me. But I didn't do it with the thought of, you know, I'm, I'm being evil. I'm cheating someone out of blah, blah, blah. I did it because they were two issues that I knew people were looking for that are kind of rare as back issues. And, and I felt that they were important to, to get out there as part of uh, this archive that someone was trying to build of a particular storyline. And so I, you know, I had them in my collection and I went ahead and I scanned them. And to me, you know, the whole illegal, legal thing gets thrown out the friggin' window because what is the difference between me handing you a copy of Dirt Man number three because you're, you're hunting it and you want to read it and I have a copy. So I go, here you go. You, you know, check this out and scanning it, making a CBR file and throwing it out there for my friends and, you know, in this internet community that want to do the same thing they can't put their hand to a copy but they want to read it and i have a copy so you know people can call that justification or whatever the hell they want to call it i just call it you know i'm calling bullshit on the whole (laughs) it's illegally down there kiss my ass I, i i'm so tired of that bullshit at this point well here's the thing about comic books specifically is I had this conversation with my wife the other day, and she made the point that the difference between you sliding somebody a copy of a book to read is, and scanning it and putting it on the internet is that they get to keep the copy, which is true. But here's the thing about comic books with me. Publishers never made money off of back issues. Right. I could see them getting their noses out of joint for new books. Because they're still out there, you know? Right. Mm-hmm. That is quite possibly taking money out of the publisher's hands. Don't tell me back issues are the same thing. Don't tell me that <laughs> that issue 136 of Iron Man is something that Marvel is really going to make money off of unless they release it in a trade. But it's going to have a limited print run because it's not a book everyone's going to want to read. So, yeah... That, that's how I kind of see it in my head. Well, is that frankly, I, I go to 50 cent bins, Marvel and DC and all the other publishers aren't making a dime off of those. So why get pissed about this? Yeah. The, the whole thing to me, you know, the people, you know, they, they call it piracy. They call it stealing. You know, you're getting it for free. And what it really gets me worked up because ultimately and i don't know about everybody else and what kind of internet service they're using my internet is not free as a matter of fact i pay top freaking dollar for some pretty shitty service only because it's the only service that's provided in this area so ultimately while you know when i download you know some issue of of you know dc comics maybe dc itself is not seeing a penny of that money but somebody somewhere somebody's palm is getting freaking greased because i used the internet to to download something so you know if if they want to get onto somebody you know figure out a way to 
get the money that's that's collected for internet services and distribute that. I don't know. Something could be done, but I'm so over this whole freaking illegal, legal downloading thing because it's all horseshit, man. I mean, you know, I don't pirate my internet connection. I mean, I pay for that shit, so money is being paid. And the way I look at it, if I'm paying for the internet, then the ability to download whatever the hell I want to is just a sweet perk of having paid for a service. Mm -hmm. So, again, I know that there's going to be somebody that's going to accuse me of, you know, well, you're just justifying your blah, blah, blah. But, you know what? Hell yeah, I am, I guess, you know. But ultimately, that I mean, tell me that that's not why 99.9% of people that got into computers and, and they, they own a computer and they have an internet connection, that that's not why they did it, so that they could download free shit. That's why everybody does it. Give me a freaking break and trying to tell me that it's not that way. I don't buy it. You know, as somebody that used to work at a big box retailer and sell computers, I, I can guarantee you 99.9% of people get a computer for one of two reasons is the free shit that they can download or hope to be able to download and pornography. And don't <laughs> tell me different because I know better. So, there you go. But no, that, that, was my, that was my little back issue related thing. So Michael, has, Michael has discovered a love of torrents. So, sweet. Michael needs to pick up another hundred pack of DVDs. You have fallen to the dark side. I love it. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> At least I did it easier than Anakin did. You know, in a better way. I mean, for better reasons. Well, depending on which version of that you really want to talk about. If you're talking strictly movie, it looks like you just flipped a light switch. But. Now, let me ask you this. How how uh, easy or... or how do I want to phrase this question? Do, do you see yourself maybe eventually getting to that point I was talking about a while ago where, where you could go all digital if, if they come out with the little Star Trek device where you could read this stuff on? You know, that's actually another reason why I started downloading them. Is, uh, that's, that's another thing I told my wife. To it's like eventually I'm, get, eventually I'm going to get an iPad of some sort. Uh, probably not a first generation, but probably down the road when they have bigger storage capacity. And yeah, it'd be nice to be sit in bed and, and have a thousand comic books next to me without them being in huge boxes. Uh, I don't know if I'd go all digital because there are books that I want to have physical copies of. But as far as why spend the money tracking down cheap copies of Iron Man number 100 to 200, for example, when I have them all right now? I don't right. have to own them because I can read them. But... Maybe I want a complete set of Iron Man 200 to 300, which is what I'm kind of working on right now, just to have that as like a, a like a good solid run of physical comics. So. Right. But it's like Daredevil. Do I really want to track down all those issues of Daredevil? No, but it'd be cool to to read them. And yeah, I could get the essentials. But I'll tell you what about the essentials that gets on me is that I used to not be this way, but a lot of people don't like essentials because they're in black and white. And I'm like, wow, you know, yeah, that's true, but. Where else am I going to get like twenty issues of Daredevil from the sixties for fifteen ninety nine? Mm hmm. Now that I'm doing torrents, I look at those essentials and I go, "Those are going to look really kid good in the kids' room." Because <laughs> those are the copies they can sit there and read when they're little, right? Because I want mine in color. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but that's all out of me. 
Yep, me too. That's pretty much all I got for this episode, but uh, I I hope everybody enjoyed it. Thank you so much for the feedback. Uh, We weeded (laughs) out a lot of of the mailbag, so uh, start writing in again. Fill that uh, Back to the Bins mailbag right back up, and we will continue to address the awesome, awesome feedback. So uh, come back and join us next week for some more random back shoe awesomeness. Thank you so much for listening to our show, and we hope you'll continue to join us each and every week for more good old-fashioned comic book back-issue awesomeness. You can contact Back to the Bins to leave feedback, comments, questions, suggestions, and criticisms via email at backtothebins at gmail.com, or by visiting the 2 True Freaks section of the comicforums.com. Back to the Bins is produced in association with the Two True Freaks podcast, which you may find at www.twotruefreaks.libsyn.com and is a registered trademark of Demonzo Corps of Milan, Italy. All rights reserved. Back to the Bins is a proud member of both the League of Comic Book Podcasts, which you may find at comicbooknoise.com league, and also the Comics Podcast Network which you may find at comicspodcasts.com. Take a moment to stop by their respective sites and support their other fine podcasts, won't you? Thanks, and we'll see you next week.